past, Ephesians chapter 6, and this is sort of a lead-in, and it kind of it is like almost perfect timing um, to what we have been talking about. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and the, the armor of God, and we sort of covered the, the general idea, and we've been covering uh, the first um, piece of armor, which was the, the belt of truth, uh, and the idea that, that your life being held together with truth. Well, if you go in Ephesians chapter 6, there's one more, there's another piece of armor that correlates to what Susan's, what Susan's about, and that's in verse 14. In Ephesians 6, in verse 14, it says, Stand firm, therefore, hold on, let's pray. I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to lead. Father, thank you for tonight that we can gather as a fellowship, as a gathering that worships you, that loves you, that adores you, that adores your word, adores your son. Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. We ask your blessing on on our time together, would you bless Susan, Lord, as she shares her ministry in Thailand? Um, let what she exp- has experienced and is doing be uh, an inspiration to many of us, dear God, and a, and a blessing and a, an affirmation of your guidance, of your provision, of your, your faithfulness, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 14, he says, Stand from having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and here's verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, we're not going to get really deep because I want to give Susan the time, but what Paul is saying here is one thing that he is, is instructing us to do is to be prepared to take the gospel of peace to other places. Now, we're going to get deeply into next week about the whole thing with gospel of peace and all that, but but what Paul is saying here is that part of the, the, the defense against the enemy, there's a defensive nature, but there's also an offensive nature. In other words, we stand in the victory of Christ, but we also take that victory of Christ to people who are still stuck in darkness. And when we come into a situation, to a person's life, we are the bearers of the gospel of peace. We are the ones who are able to announce that there's peace with God. Through the gospel, right? As we go forth, we are the ones who are bringing forth peace. We have a message of peace. In fact, Paul, go to Romans chapter 10. It ties into this. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And we'll, first of all, he starts off by talking about how he wants his, his uh, fellow Israelites being saved. But he says, <clears throat> verse 8, But what does it say, the word of the Lord, or the word in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. And whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Or how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah in chapter 52. Go there real fast. We're going to tie this into uh, Susan's uh, talk here. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. This is a time period in Israel's history when they are in captivity to the Babylonians and God is sending news that they are going to be free. He's going to send news that their 
suffering is going to end or their captivity is going to end. And in chapter 52, he says in verse 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announce peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Here's the scene, okay? You have been stuck. You have been in turmoil. You have been in slavery. You have been in captivity. You have been lost. And you are, you, are, you are wondering, how long, O oh Lord, will this happen? How long do I have to suffer in this position? And God sends a messenger and says, I've got good news. God reigns. I have good news. The Lord is reigning, okay? And Paul says, how will those people hear unless there's somebody that's sent to bring that news? Make sense? And what you're sent with, is the gospel of peace. In other words, that there's peace with God, that God has made peace between, we're no longer at at odds with God. So when you are sent, you are sent as one who brings, hey, I come in the name of the Lord, and he brings words of peace to you. That whatever you're doing to try to earn his salvation, he's taken care of. Whatever you do to the try, you're trying to, to make amends, he's taken care of. Now, this is where Susan comes in, because she is one who has been sent, who brings good news of peace, of the gospel, to a people who maybe not have heard it at all. And so, Susan, why don't you come up and, and, uh, and share with us. Susan Staples is a dear She's been in Thailand for 16 years. Has it been that long? It seems just like yesterday you were, we were hanging out together. And Susan answered the call of God to go, and she's been a missionary there, and she has a presentation, and she wants to share the good news, the gospel that she preaches and shares and, and ministers to, to, to the ladies there and the communities there, and we're very excited. And so give a warm round of applause to her. Thank you. Hi, good evening. Oh, you guys are so quiet. Good evening. Oh, okay. While we're, do you have the PowerPoint? Okay, while he's getting that ready, I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of Thai so that we're not just sleeping. So, hello in Thai is Sawat D. Oh, very good. One more time. Okay, if you're a man, you will say Sawat D. Cup. Man, 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 man. Okay, man, one more time. Ah, very good. Sawat D. Cup. Oh, okay. If you're a woman, you will say Sawat D. Ka. Ka. Uh, okay, swadi ka. Men? Women? Oh, very good, very good. Now, in Thailand, they do not shake hands. That's not what they do. They, why? So, like the praying hands, your hands together. Okay, so what I want you guys to do is to stand up, and we're going to greet each other in Thai. So if you're a woman, you say swadi ka. If you're a man, you say swadi cup. So go find somebody and okay, at least five people. At least five people. Swadi ka. Swadi ka. Swadi ka. So I say that because I'm a woman. Yes. Not to a woman. Exactly. Yes. Learning a language is so much fun, isn't it? Uh, there was a comment made over here that you s- women say ka not because you're speaking to a woman, but because you are a woman. So it doesn't matter who you're speaking to. It matters who the speaker is. So I went to Thailand for a year thinking I would be there for a year, and I've been there for 16. So be open to what God has for you. Now, Thailand... Uh, is known as the land of smiles, and people smile all the time. Here, people just walk around, and they've got this, 
go here and I got to go there. But they smile and they're very, very fun loving. The word for work in Thai literally means make a party, and that's what they do. <laughs> Next slide. <laughs> uh, even though underneath these smiles, there's a sense of hopelessness because the whole country is 98% Buddhist. In a country that has no separation of church and state, Buddhism is taught in the schools to be Thai is to be Buddhist. So if you were born in Thailand, you're automatically a Buddhist. And uh, you will see Buddhist. This particular statue is at the Golden Triangle where Thailand, Laos, and Burma meet. But they are literally everywhere. And Buddhism says that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then in my next life, I will come back as something better. So if you're a woman, you would come back as a man. If you're poor, you would come back rich. If you're a dog, you might be a cat or a person in the next life. But if your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, you could come back as a mosquito or whatever. So there's this sense of hopelessness. But at the same time, Thai people are very, very content in their Buddhism. And there's a temple in every neighborhood. My house is here, and within a half a mile radius, there are three temples. Uh, Thai life revolves around the temple. Funerals, weddings, fun stuff, everything revolves around the temple. And you will see all the monks. Every morning, the monks go out to get food, and people make merit or make good deeds by giving them food. So the monks are supposed to walk barefoot. They don't always do that, but they're supposed to. Around 6.30 in the morning, and you will see them in their orange robes, and people will actually bow down and give them the food. And they're honoring them as they bow down. And at the same time, they're also folk Buddhists, which means that they also believe in a spirit world. So in the top picture, where they're tying on this string on their wrist, that's protection from evil spirits. And they will wear this until it falls off. You're sleeping, you wear it. You take a shower, you wear it. You go to work, you wear it. You go to school, you wear it. You just wear it until it falls off. They even put them on motorcycles. And about a year and a half ago, uh, I started to transition. I'd been, for those of you who, who know who I am and have been following my ministry, I've been working with at-risk teenage girls. And I lived with 11 teenage girls, which is always full of drama and fun stuff. But I felt God uh, putting it on my heart to transition out of that ministry a little bit uh, due to some stress and uh, burnout. But I'm working with a team doing a church plant. And we're in an area of Chiang Rai province that has no church. And there's about 13,000 people in this area, but when you consider all the rest of the outlying area, there's more closer to 20,000 people. And there was a church here, and then it left. Another Thai pastor came in, started a church, left. Another Thai pastor came in and planted a church and left. We're group number four. And I'm telling you, this community is amazing. They are fun-loving. They're down-to-earth. They're happy, albeit hopeless uh, spiritually, but they need the gospel. And so a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, the team I'm working with started to plant this church. They rented a building, and this is Pastor Tawachai and his wife, Pridawan, and they're uh, pastoring the church. But I'm living there in the community, and we're doing a lot of outreach right now. That's what this whole last year has been. Uh, this is Nikon and Jaylin. They work with us. And Jaylin used to be one of my girls. I had no idea, you guys, she was going to come back and live with us and work with us. I was totally clueless. I met this girl when she was 16. She's now 27. When she left us, she went to Bible college. I was supporting her, sending her to Bible college. After one year, she called me and she said, Susan, I'm dropping out. And I said, why? And she said, well, I don't feel very good. And we knew she had some issues with her health, and I, I personally had taken her to the doctor. They ran all these blood tests, all these x-rays, and said, there's nothing wrong. It's all in your head. 
And when I would talk to her, her whole countenance had changed. Her eyes were like really mean and she was, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. But she was adamant she was not going to continue in Bible college. And I knew there was an underlying reason, but I did not know what. And so I prayed for her, I prayed with her, and she just left. And a year later, she called me and she said, Susan, I think God's calling me to go back to Bible college. Okay. But I'm not going to support you for one term because I, see, I wanted to see if she was really serious. She went back to Bible college, graduated, came to work with us at the girl's house uh, four years ago when I was here in the States, worked with us for one semester, then left to get married. How was I to know that her husband right here, who had dropped out of Bible college to go into the armed services for two years, which is mandatory in Thailand, that they would then come back and work with the team that I'm currently working with? Who would have thought? It is amazing because I literally thought Jaylin is the girl that's going to take over everything in my ministry with me. We're going to be partners, and she's someone that I can partner with and be with, and then she just left. Have you guys ever had that feeling when something just, you have this plan, and it just goes, boom, and you, God, what do I do now? I was at that point when she left because I was pouring into her, and God, in his way, in his timing, he brought her back. So it's amazing. Next slide. So um, as part of this church plant, we're, we're doing a lot of outreach, and I'm teaching English. God has provided a two-story house, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, huge front yard, huge area to uh, teach these kids for $100 a month. And I am so grateful for this house. Uh, next slide. Uh, this summer... Uh, Nui and I, I'll get to Nui in a minute, but we did a uh, summer English camp slash vacation Bible school for three weeks, 10 in the morning until noon. We had 25 kids and about another six or seven that came some days, but not every day. And we divided them into two groups. One group came with me for English. Another group went to Nui for uh, Bible stories and games. And I'm telling you, Nui was teaching about creation and she's drawing pictures And these kids are like, they were hanging on her every word. And they were so excited. Because you know what? When you share the gospel in Thailand, where do you think you have to start? Ground zero is? Yep, the creation. They do not understand there is one creator God that created everything. So if you start with Jesus... Oh, Jesus loves you. Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. They'll go, who's Jesus? He's just a good prophet. He's just a good man, just like you and me. And all religions teach us to be good people, right? We're all going to get there in the end eventually after millions of reincarnations. So it doesn't matter. We're all good. Yeah? (laughs) So we need to start with creation. And, the, and these kids loved the story of creation. And I think it's just because I think there's this thing in all of us that says, yeah, I need to know how I started, where my beginning is, and that there is a plan. I'm not just here. Um, so uh, these are some of my English classes. And when you have an opportunity, when God presents an opportunity, take it. I was asked to teach at Kosona, uh, which is the Thai version of a GED. And do you see the bottom picture? How many men and how many girls are in that picture, the bottom picture? They're sitting around the table. How many men, how many girls? Anything? Okay, how many men? How many girls? If you look, the person who's taking the picture with the red shirt, behind her, there's a person with a white shirt. Do you see that person? That's a man. In Thai, it's called a gatui, or a man who dresses as a woman. And they are everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere, and I'm telling you, they love to learn English. It's amazing. So, but God gave me this opportunity 
you guys, these are people that I would never have met had I not been teaching Kosono. And they uh, were people I never would have met. But God opened a door. And so I'm still, I'm actually still talking to these guys through Facebook. But God opens doors. What doors is God opening in your life that maybe you're not really sure this is God or maybe you're not really listening to God? And if you're here saying there's no doors that God's opening in my life right now, maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord because God is calling each one of us and ministering through us. The other thing we did, we had a big, huge Christmas outreach. A hundred people came to my house and they all heard the gospel very clearly. Next slide. The girls, it's kind of dark, but on the very bottom uh, left slide, those girls right there, they were studying English with me for a month, and then their parents said, you cannot come back to English class. Why do you think that was? After coming to English class for a month, and mom and dad says, nope, no more, you cannot go to English class anymore. Why? (laughs) Yeah, because I was sharing the gospel. And mom and dad said, nope. I charge a small amount of money, but I share uh, the gospel about five minutes, almost every class. And mom and dad said, nope, that's it. But they came to Christmas outreach, and they heard the gospel. So God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Sometimes we feel like God is closing a door, but God always opens another door or another window somewhere. Another thing that we've been doing to saturate this whole area with the gospel is YWAM has uh, printed these Bibles that have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts written in story format, specifically geared to non-believing ties. And we got some Bibles, and we started distributing them door to door. And we didn't say, oh, hi, I'm Susan, I'm a Christian, I want to give you a Bible. Because they would go, see ya, bye. Uh, But we say, you know what, I have this book, I read it, it has changed my life, it blessed me, and I want to give you a free gift. And they would go, wow. And we had a couple people that were like, no, really, how much? And we're like, it's free. And they're like, no. But we were giving them Bibles, and they were taking them. And we've seen a few people reading them. Ties are very non-confrontational. So if they think they are going to in any way hurt your feelings, they will smile and accept it. So if I'm sharing the gospel with Sharon, suppose Sharon's not a believer, and I'm sharing the gospel with her, and she's Thai, and she's like, I don't care about this. If she's American, she's going to say, I don't want this, go away. But Thais will not do that. If they do that and it hurts my feelings, that causes me to lose face and them to lose face, which is the worst thing that could possibly happen. So they will smile, oh, really? And, it's, and then when I leave, Sharon might go to her family and say, you know what, that Susan, she's But she would never say it to me. But because of that, little by little, you can start to share. Um, next slide. And God really opens up doors. You go to the next slide. So we did some English camps at a couple schools, and we gave out Bibles. We got a... Uh, permission, and we handed out all these Bibles everywhere, and I thought the kids would go, I don't want this, but they started reading it. I was blown away. I was surprised. Oh, me of little faith. And this is Zoe, and I just want to share with you guys one important thing, which is so many times we have our own plans And we don't stop and say, God, what are your plans for me today? Zoe is Chinese. I met her at a uh, Christian conference that I took Nui to in Chiang Mai. Nui was, was one of the girls. I'll get to her in a minute. But Nui was really bored because she was, didn't understand English. So, uh, Nui met Zoe at this resort, and Nui's been, pract- been learning Chinese, so she got to practice her Chinese. And I was planning on taking Nui out to church on Sunday and going sightseeing, 
And I asked Zoe if she wanted to go. And I said, but you have to understand, we're going to church first. Are you okay with that? And she said, I've never been to church. I have no idea what it's like. I'd love to go. And I was like, oh, okay. And she went, and she heard the gospel, and I'm still talking to her on Facebook. But you guys, God puts these opportunities in our paths that a lot of times we don't even think about. Zoe was not on my radar screen. My thoughts at that time was that Christian conference and Nui, and how can I mentor her as she's going into college and help her and encourage her. And God brought Zoe. And I want to ask you guys tonight, what is God putting in your life at this time that we might be not be aware of? Because God gives us opportunities all the time. How, let us have spiritual eyes that are ready to see and not just be on our own little focus. So I'm going to get up. What am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do today? Who am I going to see? But what does God want to do? Uh, for those of you that have known me for a while, these are some of the girls, and I just want to introduce them to you really quick. Gam uh, is, if you can see her little, she made that little dinosaur thing uh, as part of her schooling project. She's studying uh, early childhood education, and she graduates this year. She'll, she's doing her internship or her student teaching this year. And her parents came to Thailand from Laos, escaping Christian persecution in Laos. And neither of her parents have Thai citizenship, but she does. And she has seven or eight, I don't remember, seven or eight brothers and sisters. And she is in the middle. And one of the first of her brothers and sisters to graduate college. And her parents are dirt poor. They literally live in a dirt house floor, which is typical Hmong house. And uh, they are very, very poor. But I am so excited that her parents are okay with being poor because most of the Hmong will start selling drugs. But her parents have taken a stand for Jesus and said, no, I'm not going to get involved in all that, but I'm going to serve the Lord. And so Gam is a real sweetheart, and she has stayed strong in her Christian faith. Uh, the girl on the other side, Nai, uh, Nai is really, really sweet. Um, she, to my knowledge, has not accepted the Lord, but she lived with us from 7th grade all the way through 12th grade. She's in her second year of university now studying Chinese. And uh, pray for her that she will understand the gospel. The whole time I've known her, she is so sweet, but there has been a wall right here for the gospel. I personally think it has something to do with her father, uh, who left her family when she was a baby, and I think she has some unforgiveness issues there, but she is really sweet. Uh, but pray for her. Next slide. And these two girls, Nui and Nui. Nui, Nui is the one I want to talk to you a little bit about. Nui, this is Nui's favorite Bible verse up here. And she lived with us 7th through 12th grade. She's going into uh, college now. Her dad is in, in jail on a life sentence for selling drugs. She will never see him probably outside of jail. And she gets to visit him once a year in jail. Her middle, she has three brothers. Her middle brother is also in jail for a 25-year sentence for selling drugs. Um, this is her whole family. Her mother called me in October, last October, and said, Susan, I'm going to Korea. Okay. She's going there to work, and she asked me to watch Nui and Noon, her younger sister, during school breaks. So Nui and Noon have been living with me uh, over the summer break, and uh, Nui is the one that helped me with our English club. And she is really good with these kids, and she's going to, into university. And this is an amazing story because her last two years of high school, I had left the girl's house. I wasn't there anymore. And when I left, she had some major, major issues with the woman that was there taking care of the girls. Um, and normal teenagers, that would put them into... <laughs> This girl started skipping breakfast to read her Bible and seek God. And coming from a family that is all broken, has all these things going on, 
And this girl started seeking the Lord. She would cry and pray and seek God when uh, this woman and, and a couple other people would say uh, some really mean things to her. She would cry and go seek the Lord. And this girl has grown exponentially in her relationship with the Lord. Because when bad things happen to us and when we're feeling uh, just a lot of horrible stuff, it can either draw us close to the Lord or it can push us far away. And it brought Nui close to the Lord. And uh, pray for her. She's going into university this year and she will encounter a whole slew of stuff. So uh, pray for her and God's protection. Uh, this is Mali, and I'll just share a little bit with, about her. She is uh, from the Lawa tribe, and she is a missionary to another tribe, the Brai tribe in Thailand. She even learned the Brai language and moved her husband, her family, three kids, everyone all moved and are ministering to the Brai uh, tribe. And the cool thing about this, she is the first and only person I have met in 16 years in Thailand that's a missionary, ever. Thai people are very content. Thai Christians are very content to be with their Christian family. But she left her family, her tribe, and she's not even using the Thai language. She learned their language, and she's living with them, she and her husband, except that her husband's, I don't have a picture of him. So it's been amazing to see what God is doing. And over 16 years, I found that God is faithful. God is faithful. And the one thing that I want to ask you guys to pray for is a mighty move of the Holy Spirit among the Buddhist people group. We've been hearing stories about the Muslims, how Muslims are coming to faith in Christ. They're seeing visions. uh, They're dreaming dreams, and God is working. Um, I just met some people in Casa Grande that went to London uh, with Christian Islamic dialogue, and they're talking about how these Muslims are coming to Christ, and I've heard that from other people. But you guys, it's not happening in the Buddhist world. It's not happening. Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Burma, Vietnam, they're all, and, and a huge portion of Chinese people also, despite the communism, they're all Buddhist. And Pray for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, that God would move and work. So right now, I just want to ask you guys if you have any questions that you want to ask. So I'm very open to answering any questions that you might have, if you have any questions. Yes. Yes, I am fluent in the Thai language. It took probably... Two years to learn it, but four years to feel comfortable with it. It really helped when I moved to Chiang Kong, and I was not working with other missionaries. I was working with all national leadership, and then I had to teach the Bible to the girls in Thai. So, and when they start laughing, you know that you've said something that was not quite right. <laughs> but yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, we do have all of that. It's a developing country, so it's not a third world country, but it's nothing like here. But they do have electricity and running water and good roads. Not central air conditioning. Um, They do have air conditioning units that you can put in individual rooms, but most people do not have them because it's really expensive to buy. It's about, I think, $250, $300 for one unit, and that is, like, massively expensive for Thai people. Uh, mm-hmm. Rice. <laughs> rice, rice, and more rice. The Thai words for eat a meal, literally translated into English, means eat rice, and that's what they do. I'm not kidding. It's eat rice. And when I teach English, some of my English students actually, instead of saying eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, they will actually say eat rice. Yeah, it is so ingrained in their culture. Fruit. I am not kidding. The fruit is so good there. You guys do not know what you're missing. I come back here and I eat a banana and I'm like, 
Ugh. But the bananas, all the fruit there is so good. It is so sweet and it's fresh. And they are so excited. If there's a fruit tree, it doesn't matter what kind of tree, they will go out and start picking fruit and start eating it. And it's a big social thing. And they're all chatting and talking. And, and if it's fruit that you need to cut, they're like, oh, let's go get fruit. And then they just chop it all up and eat it. It's amazing. Yeah. They do have Thai sweets also, but they're different, and I don't know how to explain what that is, but yes. Oh, that's a good question. Did you guys hear it? Uh. (laughs) How has being a missionary there changed and grown you as a person? We could spend the next two hours on that one. Um, I realized once I got there that when certain things would happen that were difficult, I would get angry. And when you get angry with Thai people, they're like... And I realized that my initial reaction to things was very sinful and very self-serving and not pleasing to God. But as I've been there and I've encountered these situations over and over again, especially when I lived with all these girls which were about your age, (laughs) Um, I would have to say, okay, that reaction was wrong. I just yelled at her, and there was no reason for that, really, except that I was frustrated. And then I would have to go back and apologize. And um, after apologizing so many times, I realized that they would, like, the apology didn't mean anything anymore. And so I started spending a lot of time with God and saying, okay, God, why is this thing or the circumstance making me so angry and I had to deal with that and I realized it was partly because I was being selfish and I wanted them to do what I wanted them to do um, but yeah it's made me see how much I need God and looking at my reactions to things I'm seeing it a lot sooner okay Susan you're starting to feel like that that's going to lead you to doing this and so you need to stop and pray right now wherever I am or whatever I'm doing, yeah. And it's really, uh, in a lot of sense, because of all the things that I've uh, encountered, it's really made me rely on the Lord. When you cannot rely on yourself, you cannot rely on other people. And people let you down. People let you down. It's very sad, but they do. And what do you do with that? Do you take it to the Lord, or do you keep it in your heart and say... That person, <laughs> you know, or do you take it to the Lord and let God deal with it and forgive them? Yeah. There's a lot more, but I'll stop there. Thank you. Yes. Did you guys hear the question? Okay. Did you guys all hear the question? Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there are government restrictions in spreading Christianity or what you've run up against. From the government, no. Uh, Thailand gives you freedom of religion. Um, at the same time, the state religion is Buddhism. <laughs> but there is freedom of religion. Where we run against the opposition is... Uh, the monks at the Buddhist temple. I've had monks at the Buddhist temple uh, try to keep kids coming. At one point, I was picking up a bunch of kids and taking them to church, and the monks at the temple talked to the parents to try to get the parents to tell me no. Um, So we've run up that kind of opposition, and sometimes families um, who don't like other family members becoming a Christian um, they look at it as my identity as a person is in being Thai and being Buddhist. So if I become a Christian, my family says, oh, you're not Thai anymore. You're not part of us anymore. You're different. And so they will, there's a lot of familial pressure and societal pressure for them to do everything and to not accept the Lord. Um, so that kind of pressure. For us, we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But for them, who, if my identity is so wound up in the group's identity that if I'm ostracized in any way, 
it's hard. That's why it's really important when they accept the Lord, they have to have a Christian family that they can be a part of. Because if they're off on their own, they will fall away from the Lord very quickly. So that's the kind of opposition that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, a lot of differences between here and Thailand. That's another question we could spend two hours on. <laughs> uh, do you mean like everyday life? Uh, other than food, uh, I get woken up by the chickens around 4 or 5 in the morning and then go back to sleep. Um, but there's chickens everywhere. Everybody, uh, they like to be together, so uh, they'll be cooking breakfast for their families. Um, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of some differences. There's a lot, though. Uh, they don't drive their cars to work. They all have motorbikes, so motorbikes are everywhere. Um, but not the big Harleys, but <laughs> the smaller motorbikes. Um, they're much more economical. You'll see families, whole families, mom, dad, two kids on, the mo- on one motorbike. Yeah, and I'm not kidding. Yeah, pickup trucks, you can have, I know, I know. I'm sure I have one somewhere in my computer. Uh, but yeah, they uh, like to have fun. Um, schools are same but different. Um, they go through one whole class all day. So they'll have one teacher that teaches all subjects, except for English and and PE and a couple of other things. But grades are very... You have to get a 4.0. You have to do do really good to get into a good university. So they're real stressed about school. Um, I live in a small town because uh, in the big city, there's uh, a lot of churches there. And I really, we live about an hour from the city. So my heart, really, when I moved up here to work with this church plant team, uh, God really put it on my heart, um, Romans 15, where it's, Paul says um, that I, want to, I don't want to build on another man's foundation, but I want to share Christ where it has never been preached before. And so that was my heart, was to be with non-believers. And there are, within the cities, the main cities, there are churches, there are Christians. But out where I'm at, an hour outside the main city, there, there aren't. There are two believing families. Mm-hmm. Um. I uh, mean financially. Um, she's asking, how did Gam, the one girl from the poor family, how was it that she was able to go to university? Um, it was because of generous supporters who support me. Yeah. Um, university, her university and other universities similar to that are about $300 per semester for tuition. So it's not massively expensive like it is here. Yes, she, Mong. Uh-huh. Yes, she was Mong. Her family is, yeah. The Mong Hill Tribe, or a minority group, there are about three million of them in China. They're actually from southern China. But since World War II, they've been trickling into Vietnam, Laos, and into Thailand. Into Thailand, especially after the Vietnam War. Um, There are about 12 to 15 minority groups in northern Thailand, about seven or eight of them that you hear a lot. So um, I don't, because I lived with the Hmong, I understand some Hmong, but I'm not fluent in it. Um, but there's Hmong, Aka, Lahu, Yao, Karin, uh, Lawat, Brai. And there's at least four or five more. Um, but yeah, I, the ones you hear the most are Akha, Mong, and Karin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? They're refugees, yes. Most of the Karin that are here in Phoenix are from Burma. 
um, and there was the military junta uh, in Burma, and they were killing, literally killing, all of the minority groups in Burma. So they were going into Thailand, living in refugee camps, and then a lot of them got repatriated to a third country, many of whom came here. But yeah, that's why they had refugee status. Yeah. But there are a lot of Korean uh, on, the, on the border of Thailand and Burma. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could tell you had a question. It is sometimes lonely. Um, For me personally, it was lonelier 10 years ago when I was first started living with the girls because I had so much going on in my head and in my heart and no one to talk to. And I was working with all national leadership, so it was real, they, I couldn't express some of what was going on in my heart because they wouldn't get it as nationals. Um, and they would just be like, oh, Susan, you're just making a big deal out of it. It's not really a big deal. So I really had no one. And through that time, though, it really made me spend a lot more time with the Lord. There were times I would have my quiet time, and literally for an hour I would be like, okay, God, this girl has this issue, and oh, God, I can't help her do something with her. And it would just be playing that out with the Lord. Um, Now... For now, it's not really as big of an issue for me as it was before. But I would ask you guys to pray for one really good friend that's a believer um, that lives near me. I have a great team. They live a half hour away from me. But I do have a great team that I'm working with. But they all have their own little things that they do. So, yeah, that would be a big prayer request. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Korean? Korean? Korean or Korean? Uh, Korean. Ahasayo. And that's about it. <laughs> there, yeah. What, what led you into doing this? Like, what, how did the Lord lead you from Phoenix, Arizona, to Oh my gosh, that's a funny story. It really is. God is amazing because I had no desire to go to Thailand. I knew God was calling me to the mission field, and I wanted to go to Spain and work with North African Muslims. And for one full year, I was learning Spanish. I was working overtime to pay off my credit card debt. I was reading books on how to witness to Muslims, and God kept closing the door. And one day, a missionary, this was back at Calvary Community a long time ago, a missionary from Thailand came and started sharing. And the very next day, I don't know, some of you know George Cole. If you don't know George Cole, then consider yourself blessed. No, I'm just kidding. But (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, George called me the very next day, and he said, Susan, God wants you to go to Thailand. And I said, (laughs) no. And he said, pray about it. And I said, no. And he's going on and on and on and on for an hour talking about how God has closed this door and blah, blah, blah. And Susan, I really think you should pray about it. And finally, just to shut him up, I said, okay, I'll pray about it. So I prayed about it, and wouldn't you know, God changed my heart. (laughs) So I uh, talked to my missions pastor at the time and to this missionary, and they said, okay. And when I made the decision to go to Thailand, it was 30 days from the time, that time, from the time I made the decision to go, it was 30 days until I got on a plane and went. And I had the money because I had already been raising support to go to Spain. So I just contacted all of my supporters and they said, okay, that's fine. So I went for a year thinking it's going to be a year. And you read all these books and they on missions, and they say, oh, yeah, the first couple months, it's the honeymoon phase. Everything is wonderful. You're like, oh, this food is so good. I get to try new stuff, and these people are so nice, and oh, what adventure can I do today? And oh, Lord, who can I witness to today? And 
For me, it was totally the opposite. I hated it there. I was living at a children's home with 50, 40, about 45 kids at the time and didn't understand the language. I could not even say sawatdi that I just taught you guys. I didn't even know that. I knew nothing about the culture. I knew nothing. All I knew was that, oh, God, we're eating rice again. Can I have pizza, Lord, please, just once? Um, and we lived uh, outside. We lived in Chiang Rai, but outside of the city. And I did not speak enough Thai to go into it, to find a taxi to go into the city. So I was there all the time. I was teaching English, had no idea how to teach English. It's amazing that those kids even responded to me in any way because I was such a bad teacher. <laughs> And then after being there for a year, five days before I was coming back to the States, and I thought I was really coming back because I had really struggled the whole year, even though I'd started learning Thai. Um, so five days before my flight leaves to come back to the States at the end of that year, I was out eating pizza and practicing my small amount of Thai that I knew. And I was talking to this one lady at a restaurant, because they have these uh, restaurants downtown where the touristy place is. And the, the, they will have a girl that works there, and she'll just be standing at the door trying to get people to come into the restaurant. And so I would be walking by, and I would chat with her and practice my little bit of Thai, and she's smiling. And I looked at her eyes, and her eyes looked blank. And I just really felt God speak to me in my heart. Susan, who's going to tell her? Oh, ye of little faith. I said, I don't know God, but not me. And so if you think I'm this big missionary person that's just way up here, <laughs> you're finding out, no. Then uh, about 10, 15 minutes later, I was still practicing my Thai. I went to find somebody else uh, to practice speaking with. And it was another lady. She was smiling and talking with me and uh, really excited that I was trying to learn Thai. And she was trying to practice her English, which was very nominal. And uh, God spoke to me again and said, Susan, who's going to tell her? Because at that time, I did not know enough Thai to share really anything other than God loves you. That was the only thing I could say in Thai. And I said, I don't know God, but not me. When I was going back, I was sitting in a Thai taxi, which is a pickup truck with a camper shell on the back that has an opening uh, for people to get in, and then they have two benches, one bench on this side and one bench on this side. And you pay like 10 baht, which is like 20 cents, and you can go anywhere within the city. And I jumped in there, and there was a Buddhist monk sitting in the back, which is highly unusual because the monks all sit up front with the driver. So it was very unusual he was back there, and he wanted to practice his English which again was very unusual because the monks take a vow of celibacy. They don't get married, and they're not supposed to talk to women. You can't even get this close to a woman. They would, like, shy away because they would be ceremonially unclean, and they have to go through all these ritual things. So I was surprised that this monk was talking to me, but he wanted to practice his English. So I'm just chatting with him, and he's asking me, you know, how do you like Thailand? What Thai food do you like? And blah, blah, blah. And I said... And I was looking at his eyes, and they were empty. And God spoke to me again. Same thing. Susan, who's going to tell him? And I said, I don't know, God. And I closed my heart to the Lord. And that night, I could not sleep. And I got up, and I started reading the word. And God took me to Matthew chapter, I believe it's chapter 9, that says uh, to pray to the Lord. The harvest is ripe. And ready for harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And I said, God, you want me to come back, don't you? And I just felt this instant peace flooded into my heart. And I said, okay, God, I'm willing. And it was amazing. When I came back, I came back here for like two, three months. And when I went back, I started learning Thai. And God just totally changed my heart and gave me a love for the Thai people and the Hmong people and... I am so grateful that God, despite my stubbornness, <laughs> that God uses me, and I'm amazed. Mm -hmm. I would say pray about it and step out in faith.
Because so many times we can just stand here out of fear. Fear keeps us from doing anything. It can. Um, And you know what? If you step out in faith and it's not something that God would have you do, that's okay. I think we're so afraid of failure or of not hearing God's voice that we're not willing to step out in faith. But once God starts, once we start to move, God can direct us. But if I'm just standing still, God's got to do this. But if we're moving, you know, if you've prayed about it, ask God for a specific scripture. Because I know one time I moved and I prayed um, before I came to this church planning team. I prayed. I did not feel a specific answer or specific uh, verse from God. And I stepped out in faith and I went. And then that it was a Calvary Chapel team I was working with, actually. And the whole team just disintegrated. And then I moved. And that's one of the reasons that one of the things that led me to where I'm at now. But uh, God used it. God used it. But ask God for a verse. That has always really blessed me. When I am faithful and I don't move until God gives me a verse, God will give me a verse that will tell me to go this way. But don't be afraid to step out in faith. Yes? For me personally, I can't speak for the rest of the team, but for me personally, it was Romans 15... I think it's up there on one of the slides um, where Paul says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation, but I want to preach the gospel in places that it's never been heard. I think if you go back, can we go back? Okay, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, keep going. Okay. Keep going. Oh, Okay. Okay, is that it? Okay, yeah. Can you guys see that? No. It's just a really cool little building out in the wires field. (laughs) Oh, it's gone. Okay. But yeah, that was the verse that God gave me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, not in my specific town, but near there in Chiang Rai, Chiang Mai, yes. Yeah. Um, it's different than what we think. They're not people that are like uh, deceiving people and saying, oh, we're going to give you a nice office job, come with me, and then the next thing you know, she's being trafficked. Um, it's not that, but it's... The, the hill tribe people are so poor that when they see their fr- a friend might be making a lot of money, and they'll say, oh, come work with me in the bar. Because the bars in Thailand, you don't, they, the girls will work in the bar, and then the guys have to come in, and they, the girls get a certain percentage of every alcoholic drink that the guys buy. And then if he wants to take her out, he has to pay a bar fee. And then whatever he negotiates with the girl. So money. And it's so ingrained in them from little, they're little, that your mom and dad sacrificed for you, gave you clothes, gave you food, or sending you to school, that you have to take care of mom and dad. And it doesn't always necessarily start when mom and dad get really old. It starts as soon as you're old enough to get a job. So a lot of them do it for money. Um, some of them do it because they're deceived into it, but some of them choose it. But yeah, they, there are people that prey on those kinds of girls and families. Yeah, there are not my group, but there are groups um, like Ezekiel Rain and Destiny Rescue that are working with those girls. Yeah, yeah, and another group in Chiang Mai. Uh huh. Prayesu Rak Kun. Rak is love, Kun, you. Prayesu Rak Kun. Anything else?
Oh, <laughs> I didn't even see you up there. I'm so sorry. Uh, um, The biggest need uh, is prayer. Pray for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit among the Buddhist people and among the people where we're planning a church. Um, I I don't have it with me because I haven't been able to print it, but I'm uh, about to send it electronically, a booklet that really tells you how to pray for Buddhists. It is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It just makes it real concise, and it's a 30-day prayer guide. But pray for God to move among the the Buddhist people. Um, That would be the biggest thing. Uh, Pray for me for travel mercies around the states um, over the next two months. And uh, just pray. Uh, I would like to do more with girls and women, and I'm not sure what that looks like. So pray for that. There's a huge, huge need for that. So pray for that. Um, starting uh, by praying. Um, some of the biggies is you need a uh, sending church. You need a church that's behind you 100%, that when there's something going on, you can call the pastor and say, or email or whatever, and say, this is going on. Um, So I would say talk to your pastor and uh, tell them of your desire and what you want to do and what you think God's calling you to do, and start praying. Start looking at, like, do you want to go to Thailand? Do you want to go to another country? I mean, where do you want to go? What organization do you want to go with? What do you want to do? How do you want your ministry to look like? And start researching stuff online and, yeah, and talking to people. Mm -hmm. so I will have prayer cards and if you are not currently receiving my newsletter and you would like to I have a sign up sheet for that too yeah I have email I have a Facebook prayer group and I have prayer cards down here with that information that's how we pawn cash Hey, let's, uh, let's, I want to pray, pray for Susan. Let's gather around here and just lay hands and, because, uh, we're so appreciative of you, Susan, just for sharing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for the ministry that you have led Susan to do with the Thai people and just the journey that you've brought her on these many, many years, Lord, and just how uh, inspiring it is to us to hear of um, her journey and and just how you've transitioned her from, from not wanting to go to actually loving the people and uh, that you've changed her heart, God, and you, you've used her in, in so many ways, God, and and Father, we want to bless her, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, for your continued provision for her uh, spiritually, financially, emotionally, uh, that you would continue to use her, Lord, and others like her, Lord, to, to speak uh, truth and life uh, about Jesus, about God, um, to the people that are there, to the, to the Buddhist people, Lord, and especially. And Lord, would you um, bring others uh, in her area um, for friendship and for support as well, God. Uh, she's uh, oftentimes in a lonely position, Lord, and we ask your encouragement on her, Lord. Would you bless the girls that she ministers to, Lord? We, we pray that, that these young ladies that she has got to teach and mentor, uh, would be, uh, if uh, those who aren't saved would become saved, and those who are, Lord, would be strengthened in their faith, Lord. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you, Lord, that, that you often call us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zone and to step out in faith and, and that you show yourself faithful and, and strong in areas that we would least expect, perhaps, God. And so we pray for Susan, Lord. Would you help her with just the rest of her time here in the States with um, 
visiting and just doing, um, just getting rest. And would you go before her, Lord, in her ministry back in Thailand and bless that, Lord. We ask that you would bless this new church plant, this group that she's a part of, Lord. Would you bless it tremendously, Lynn? And let this, let this, um, uh, this church plant really take root, Lord, in the area that she's in, God. Would you add to their number and their team? And we pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to begin working on the hearts of the Buddhist people, God, just as you're doing among the Muslims, Lord. We ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that, they, that the Spirit of God would begin to penetrate those dark areas of their hearts, God. They, they would uh, begin to be drawn to Jesus and that their eyes would be open, Lord. We ask, Lord, we, we ask that you would send a revival among those people, Lord. They are desperately needing you, Lord. And Lord, we also that you would ask that you would send more workers into the field. Lord, thank you that, that you call us to be a part of that, God. And so we ask that you would send more workers that can go and tell people about Jesus. And so, Father, thank you for, again, for tonight. Thank you for Susan and her ministry. Continue to bless and protect and provide for her. And continue to, to show yourself faithful to her, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's, what time is it we have here? Do we want, it's after, is it, oh my goodness, six o'clock? Do we want to do one song? And, no, we're good. We pray? We're, okay. Let's, let's, hey, first of all, this was, this was a treat. We really, really appreciate it, so. And Susan, you'll have information out there or, uh, and then, okay, and she has it right there. If you, just to keep it, and we want to continue to pray for you. And you're just, even your how many, how many hours and miles away is that? Uh, 24 hours. Okay, you just lost me. <laughs> 24, that's a long 